once you have been exposed to good design, you see your development work shine so much more that you become addicted to good design. Or even more, if you understand the process. This is Contributor, a podcast telling the stories behind the best open source projects and the communities that make them. I'm Eric Anderson. Welcome everyone to our latest episode of Contributor. I'm joined today with Pablo Ruiz Rusquiz, who is one of the creators of two projects we're going to talk about that both roll up under the banner of Kaleidos. That is Penpot and Tega. Did I say it correct, Pablo? Tega. Tega. Thank you. Pablo, tell us just briefly about yourself and Kaleidos, because I think those are necessary contexts for the discussions on the two projects. Sure. Well, my academic background is in science and engineering, so physics and computer science. You could say it's some classical nerdy type of person, you know, science fiction, fantasy reader, role-playing games, you know, traditional archery, all that stuff. But when it comes to my professional career, what I always wanted to do is to make sure that I was involved in positive impacts of technology in society, like, you know, trying to make sure my talent was put to good use. And for that, over a number of years, I was able to co-found with 13 other people in 2011, Kaleidos. This company born out of sort of privilege, should I say, because we knew even in those days here in Spain, where we had this financial crisis, we were sure we could experiment with a new type of company. And so we decided to say bye-bye to our jobs and create this company, Kaleidos. And this company is actually called Kaleidos Open Source. So by the name, you already know one of the major topics or, or drivers of uh, our existence. And the idea was pretty simple, although it get complex over time, like now it's quite complex, as you, you'd see, you know. We decided to do two things at the same time. One, we would actually develop technology for partners or the startups or multinationals, you know, big projects for them and just for a fee, do that. And with the money that we took from our clients, we would invest in our own open source products. Today, we only do the latter. <laughs> we got enough funding, our products grew in quality so much that we transitioned. When? Well, actually during another crisis, which is the one we are still living in, the pandemic, and we made the full transition from services, third-party consultancy business to just open source products. Now, one thing that is relevant here is that Calus is very different now than when we were founded 10 years ago. At the time, we were all backend developers, super nerdy, basically all white male. It was the typical bunch of people you would expect from a very technical small company, you know. And uh, at some point, we decided that in order for us to be able to tackle big challenges for our clients, just for our clients, we would need to accept design, user experience, user interface, and all that to have everything in-house. Because we wanted to go for the super major projects and it didn't really work out well if we partner with companies that would do design and we do the code. That was okay for small projects, our three-month projects, but for two-year projects, that didn't work. 
we felt we didn't have the control over the project. It was too important for us not to have that in-house. I have to be honest here. I was terrified that we did that because when you are very much into open source and technology and you say, let's get designers into your company, into your culture, into your processes, we felt there would be some disconnection. There could be dysfunctional conversations. We would be two different worlds in the same place. But this is not a cautionary tale. I tell people we made the right move. Thanks to that, we are now where we are at. We became obsessed about processes and quality so much that we created Taiga, one of the projects I mentioned, which is an open source project management platform. It's basically for agile teams. And we created that platform so that our designers and our developers could have this joy of managing projects together in just one tool, right? Because designers wouldn't typically be welcome to use those tools. They would just use their own tools and all the project management and the issue management and all that would be dealt with using other tools that were just for tech people. I'm sure you know this, you know, all, all these tools about project management just for the engineers. And uh, that was great. I released Tiger for, for the public and it has been very successful since then. And a few years ago, we had this crisis. It was not unexpected. I saw it coming. I saw it coming where designers at Kaleidos said, look, we do quality projects. We do really sustainable development, good design, good technology, the agile methodology, you know, how lean we are. The culture fit is amazing, you know. But to be honest, we designers here at Kaleidos, we are not first class citizens in open source. We're not. You guys... You know, you developers enjoy total freedom. You get to pick any framework, any database, any operating system, you know, any editor, anything, and you can feel productive. You can feel like your talent is put to the maximum. You are not hindered by the tools. While we designers, whether it's UX or UI or any type of design, have to deal with open source software, which we believe in. We are pro-open source. There's no question about that. But we have to fix this. And Pablo, maybe to understand this crisis, we might have to understand a bit of the Kaleidos culture, where I feel like, if I understand correctly, you are attempting to only use open source software. Because there's a toolkit out there that the designers might feel comfortable in, but, it, but it's not open source. Is that right? No. And when we had those job applications, you went to Kaleidos.net and look for jobs. And we would say, we want UX, we want designers, you know, and visual designers, whatever. And one of the red lines, you know, one of the mandatory items was that either you already use open source design software or you're willing to do that. Like you are really willing to do that. You know what's at stake. And of course, we got a lot of people saying, yes, yes, but it was not genuine. You know, it was not truly honest. Fortunately, we hired the ones that were really into this or got it shortly afterwards. So we actually had a sort of a committee that would address any request from anyone in the company to make an exception to the rule of open source, right? And this committee would have like some criteria and depending on the score of the overall criteria, it would say okay or not okay. Right. So it goes from Gmail to video conferencing systems to anecdotal tools that you could you use every As day. As an aside, right? I, when I worked at Google, we 
we had a similar committee, but it was for using non-Google products. Like if, if you want <laughs> if you want well, to use yeah, Microsoft I mean, Excel, you had to go talk to <laughs> several people and get permission because Google Sheets should have been your default. At some point, I think we'll release these committee criteria, not for any specific example, but one of the items there in the checklist was happiness that would bring to the person, okay? How much impactful that would be. And also if that would mean other people must use that software too. You know, so the indirect impact on other person's choices, right? So we got the request for Figma, of course. <laughs> because it was obviously like the no-brainer choice. The leader, you know, it was on the browser, real-time collaboration, super fast, trendy, of course, you know. Yeah. And uh, the committee took that. I remember that meeting exactly, you know, who was there, you know, the, the position of everyone in, in the room, the light in that afternoon in the meeting room. And the result was, yes, we will make the exception because the checklist just outputs, I don't know, okay, okay. But at the same time, we decided that that would be a temporary solution. It had to be. It was too important for us to be using a design tool where you conceptualize, you have this inception of ideas, you design your prototype, you know, it's part of the critical path of any technological advancement that you output. It was not right to just concede forever. So the next bye week, which is our personal innovation week, we have one every six months where we just stop doing what we do and concentrate on just innovation pet projects, you know, either on yourself or with some of the team members or whatever, Penport was born. Got it. And if you think about it, how many design and prototyping tools do people know? Because if you go back to the Taiga example, how many project management platforms people know? I think a dozen easily come to mind. There are many different aspects, you know, different angles, you know, you get the Trello, end of the spectrum or the Jira end of the spectrum. And then, you know, thousands of product management platforms, but design and prototyping tools, not many. I mean, three, four, five, perhaps, and that's it. And there's a reason for that. And we knew that it was a reason for that. And it's, it's so challenging. It's very tough to develop such a tool. It's uh, conceptually very tough, very challenging to design a tool that allows other people to design other tools. So in a way, you have to think that you're creating a tool that should be able to create tools like Penpot, yeah. which are in itself challenging. So you have to think about the user, which is a designer, a lot, how they think. Of course, we got inspiration from other tools already in the market, but still, you don't want to clone anything. You want to say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do the best one. Yeah. And so you want to be at the vanguard, really. You don't want to do any open source copy of anything. I mean, Taiga is not an open source copy of anything. It has its own personality. So does Penpot. The other reason why you don't get many tools like this, it's because technologically, it's a nightmare. <laughs> it's really mathematical. The complexity in terms of math, of performance is really tough, particularly if you do it on a web. So yeah, almost now we don't use Figma. We are almost 100% you know, migrated just because we have some legacy design on, on Figma. Penpot designs itself. So Penpot is used to be to, to evolve itself. That was 
achieved months ago. We're happy that we had that conversation, that crisis, because honestly, I thought that other people would actually develop something like Pempot. I didn't think Kaleidos would do it. I always thought, well, this eventually will be sorted out. It's about time. I thought that in 10 years ago, five years ago, and at some point it was like, oh, so it's us. Well, okay, let's do this. And that's why we're just focused now on Tiger and Pempot, because you have so much bandwidth at the end of the day, and you have to focus on your very successful products, because that's reality. We're getting a lot of momentum. We're very excited about how people are looking at those two products and started to match them, to put them together and understand that there is a overarching process. Pablo, now that we kind of understand where they came from, maybe you can give us a quick 30-second definition on the two projects, Taiga and Penpot. And then afterward, I'll ask you a little bit about you know why people choose Taiga and Penpot, kind of what they offer. Yeah, absolutely. So Taiga is a product management platform meant for agile teams, whether they know they are agile or whether they want to be agile. And it's very flexible, intuitive, and you can do Kanban, Scrum, issue management, Epics, Wiki. It's very, very intuitive, very user-friendly, and that's why we created it, to make sure that designers and other stakeholders would feel that they could actually enjoy a product management tool. You can go to taiga.io, either download it, have it on-premise, or use our SaaS. And Pempot is a design and prototyping tool for designers that is meant to welcome developers. You know, it's like the other way around. It's uh, quite symmetrical here. And it's meant to make sure that designers enjoy all the benefits of designing directly code. So Pempot is just based on SVG. So it's important that designers understand that they are no coders. Somehow they are coders. Developers are meant to enjoy Pempot for the first time because they're welcome into the uh, design process also for the first time. Like first-class citizens, you know, same way designers felt with Agile. Developers are now feeling with uh, design process. And it's web-based, but you can also download it and host your own Penport server, which is unique. There's nothing like this in the world. It's the first time you can actually add the last missing item in your developer pipeline, which is the design tool. There's a lot you've kind of surfaced there that we need to unpack, oh, Yeah, maybe to just highlight a couple of those things. So you mentioned that Taiga is a project management tool, which has historically been a developer-centric place, and you're making it friendly to designers, you're inviting them in. And the opposite, but kind of same, is true for Penpot. Historically, the design tools have been a designer-centric place, and you're inviting developers in. And you're also highlighting that there's two different methodologies at work here, that there's kind of the agile world and the design process world. And you're saying that these tools help highlight how you can bring them in harmony or you, you can kind of have a single process? Yes, yes, actually. I mean, I, I loved it how you, you put it. I said, at Kaleidos, we were so obsessed about the quality of the process. So we got the quality of the output, like our development, yeah. that we knew that we needed to have designers on board in the agile process. We needed them to understand that it was not okay to try to design everything from scratch, end it there, and then just give it to the developer and just wait till it's done and then just cry out loud because the end result is not useful, is not interesting, and it doesn't have anything to do with the original design. So that was very tough. Designers at the time 
had a hard time understanding and, and accepting that they needed to be part of the agile process. They thought they could sort of waterfall their own thing and then you do the agile, okay? So in order for us to convince at least our designers that it was a good idea to have them like in, in one team sharing the conversation, everyone, you know, peer to peer, we created Taiga so that you could feel that it was also for you, designer. The vocabulary, the things that it's, it's meant to solve is really interesting for you. So there's a lot of things in Taiga that are meant to make sure that not only designers, but particularly designers feel like they can, that tool they, they can use, they can report it, they can enjoy it, they can make progress, etc. Now, the other process is the design process. And I'm sure you know this, more and more these days, the ratio between designers and developers has come from, I think, one designer per 15 developers to one designer per seven or eight developers. That is good news. That means that design is being rewarded with more resources, more importance, everything. There's more science to design nowadays. So there's some, some things that they have borrowed from engineering. Just the ones they need or the ones they had and they can be polished through some learnings from engineering. And it's not like the official name, but we talk about the design process. The design process is not this, this kind of thing that only design gurus understand, these silos where they have these conversations and they, they come down and say, we have decided this, you know, design will be blue. There's this a lot of research, validation, hypotheses, interviews, you know, constructs, trial and error to come to something that means blue. Now, why have developers out of the loop where they can actually bring and understand what's going on and, and at early stage participate. Because at the team level, there's no such difference. You know, you have your dailies, you're just people trying to create whatever, you know, a great product. It's when you go for the tools or certain processes that you split up artificially, the team, right? And so when we created Pempot, we knew that it wasn't just like the little tool that designers enjoy, so they're happy and we don't have to use Figma anymore. We said, look, Figma did a great job bringing de uh, designers together to have this collaboration thing before people said designers like to work alone. Well, to now, that's, that's, that's bullshit. Designers really want to work with other designers. And, you know, the same canvas. And we said, okay, what if we don't stop there? What if we say, designers would like to work with developers also bring developers to their arena and that's why penpot has all this feedback loop it's outputting svg the infrastructure everything is meant for developers to be part of that the way you manage projects etc etc so we are happy to see that what we have created taiga and penpot reflect kaleidos ethos how we understand teams and how we understand design and code we believe this is my bet this is my my i'm not pre-cog or anything but i think that this decade is going to prove that design and code can do greater things if they work together but really work together and uh, that won't happen if we don't have a design tool that is meant to open up the design process to developers what i like about what you're saying is that it would address some of the biggest frustrations I've had in the software development process where 
as a design effort, we arrive at some conclusions through, as you mentioned, the science of design, the research, the investigation, the trial and error. And then you hand these off to developers and there's this disconnect. You say, you gave the example blue, but there's more to it, certainly. And they say, well, blue's fine, but blue's a little tricky and it doesn't fit with that other thing we did. And they have their own opinions because they're intelligent people and all they get is blue. And so they're saying, well, it should be more like bluish considering these other factors. <laughs> and, and then there's this exactly. frustration where designers are like, no, there was a reason we wanted blue. And, and so then you end up regurgitating the whole design process or attempting to in order to bring harmony to the effort. I'll give you an example. Yeah. And, and I think this, this will resonate with a lot of people listening. It's so common to have designers listening to developers arguing about infrastructure, architecture. They're sitting there and they are like, oh, they're doing their tech stuff, this tech talk about why this framework or whether it's an, a RESTful API or we're going to for GraphQL. You know, developers are used to having these open conversations. It's natural for them. And designers have grown used to just be there, not understanding a word. And just when they the, the meeting is over, they say, okay, bye-bye. And they feel like they wasted an hour. That doesn't happen the other way. I mean, you don't see developers sitting an hour long just where designers are commenting on why the prototype is like this or that. Yeah. Have you ever seen that? Nobody witnessed that. Why? Because it's disconnected, but there is this legacy that says it's okay to have to cope with the tech people having a chat about their stuff. Well, the design process would be that equivalent and has been like isolated or, you know, we think it's very sad. And when you open up that conversation, smart people, like intelligent people, like you said, you know, developers, they think, oh, well, we are developers. If they understand why it's blue or even bluish, right. they can have some feedback. Early on, they can, they can actually interpret that or give some feedback or just comment or just shut up because they know there's nothing they can add to the thing. So... Let's pretend everyone's intelligent. Let's pretend everyone's more intelligent than the average <laughs> in a team. Ideally, what you would like the team to behave like. And it's just consenting adults sharing their processes and their thought processes and their tools. And then you mentioned the ratio is changing, which is changing at, rapidly. At some point, yeah. I feel like it probably tips, right? Where historically design has been seen as a central resource. And increasingly, it's, it's an embedded one. A designer is kind of assigned to a team and lives with the team. But if, if it gets as low as three to one, they're kind of part of the team. I don't know. It, the centrality is lost, or at least it's subordinate to the product team, I imagine. I mean, the ratio between front-end developers and back-end developers has all changed. So when you think about DevOps or infrastructure or things like that, it has also changed. Ten years ago, college was, I don't know, let's say 10 back-ends and two front-ends. And now it's like 15 full stack and just pure backends, perhaps only two people left yeah. and the rest is front end and then plenty of designers. So it's hard for a developer to understand that there is so much value in just accepting what a designer has to say, because you come from privilege. You come from a place where you rule is your realm technology. Fortunately, we had this transition from back-end to front-end. 
So already a lot of people understood that there can be changes and they're okay. You might not like them or not, you know, but there are changes. So nowadays, I think um, once you have been exposed to good design, you see your development work shine so much more that you become addicted to good design. Much more or even more if you understand the process and you can sort of participate and feel like you you co-own it, okay? That has allowed Kaleidos to tackle bigger challenges, not for ourselves, perhaps for our clients, bigger projects, more challenging projects, you know, things that we, I, I wouldn't thought we could actually develop, you know, that are massive. And perhaps that's why we decided that we could actually do something like Pempot. Taiga is not so much challenging in terms of technology. It's about how to convey processes, agile processes in a very flexible way. So it's applicable to many different teams. That is a challenge. I get it. I, I, I feel it. But Penpot has these challenges that I mentioned. And in terms of technology, you have to be very sure. And a developer these days, if they are invited to develop something like Penpot, they would not believe they could do it unless they are surrounded by good designers and good design. And because we knew we had it, we had experience firsthand, we accepted the challenge. We said, yeah, let's do this. Let's become the fourth or the fifth tool in the market. It's quite, quite small, you know, not the market is a bit huge, but the number of tools is small. Well, in some ways it's generational, not, not actually generational, but we generally standardize on a tool and we've kind of standardized from one to the other, to the other in sequence to some degree. And designers have been used to their, their own software, you know, their very private tool that they're using. And the only thing we've seen is just that evolving into the internet or the browser, but not much change. It's quite slow. But I think Pempot is, is a good example that this, this is going to change fast. I don't think Pempot is going to be the only design and prototype tool like really massive. It's because it's not a plugin or a simple tool. It's really like a platform that we're going to get in, in this decade. I think um, we are opening up this sort of market, if I can call that, and we'll see more and more tools. Not just becoming from the no-code realm, but from the pure design and prototype perspective. And the ones that do not address the developer opportunity, I don't think they're going to get momentum because it's going to just feel like old style, shiny, but old style designers tool. Great. I want to touch on one thing before we go on to a final topic. And you mentioned SVG support was kind of special in Penpot. It is. Can you explain yeah. that for me. It sounds like SVG makes you more native to what you're actually producing. Yes, this is one of the biggest challenges for us. The standard technology on web and mobile for visuals is SVG. I mean, you get raster, you get JPEG and PNG, but really when you actually want to do some, some great stuff that is responsive and that can scale up multi-device and you can manipulate that through CSS and all that, you have to use SVG. And that's an open standard for vector graphics. Now, the rest of the tools, the proprietary tools, make sure they stick to their own proprietary format. But you don't deploy a Figma file. The browsers don't read that or uh, Adobe thing. It doesn't work like that. 
So they encapsulate all the information into those formats, and then you have to export it to SVG in order to make use of it. Who, by the way, makes use of it? Developers, of course. Those are the ones that are going to make use of it. So there's this translation between the design and the output. And we decided, why do that when you have SVG? Let's make sure that PenPod natively goes for SVG. And so there's no translation. What you see is what you code. So at any given time, you can just click on any item or canvas or component or whatever, and you go to the tab and you get the CSS or the SVG representation. Now the CSS, it is a representation in terms of a translation, but the SVG is actually what the browser is producing because there's no difference. That means that the designer knows for sure that what they are seeing, what they're designing is actually code. And that means that they can trust the process where the developer can take that and use it as it is. And of course, that opens up possibilities of integrating PenPod with code tools or development tools or integration tools, where as long as everyone is using SVG, the source of truth could be elsewhere. So a PenPod could actually be outputting something that is being fed by all the process elsewhere that is using SVG. So you could actually put PenPod and your Git repository working together and changing a Git file could actually mean PenPod now outputs red instead of blue. And what is more exciting is that the designer for the first time could be part of the development process, meaning that they could actually be able to do commits using PenPod because that could trigger a commit to a Git repo and that could trigger a continuous deployment process. And that could mean a new release on production. And I think that the more designers are part of that, it just opens up more possibilities and opportunities for everyone in the technology world. And so we are creating shortcuts between design and code. But sometimes I don't know if we are actually making design closer to code or code to design. Sometimes, depending on how you see it, at the end of the day, they're just closer. That's uh, you know one way or the other they are understanding better each other. And at the end of the day, this is teams. This is people working together. So, so SVG is critical. It's critical for us. And it has its own challenges, but we were able to sort them out last year with uh, text, text manipulation. Okay. The other topic I wanted to mention was stepping away from the, these specific projects and just kind of more conceptually to the idea of open source and user applications. You mentioned at the beginning that Kaleidos was mostly focused on kind of infrastructure at the beginning, and that's where open source has seen a lot of success. And you feel this inevitable pull that it needs to come into end user applications. I'm excited about that future. Maybe tell us a little bit more about that. I, I mentioned to you at the beginning, before the show started, that there are a few examples of where this has happened, and in, in design, uh, Blender being one, where a giant open source community is, is producing kind of the, the preeminent 3D rendering project. Yeah, I mean, these days they are the standard for 3D modeling and animation. I was there back then in 2004, I think 2003, putting some money when they, they crowdfunded. It was not called crowdfunding at the time, 
but they needed $1 million to get the license, you know, the code and create the Blender Foundation. Yeah. And, you know, it was a lot of money, $1 million, but uh, Tony Rosendahl was like asking for money and I was using Blender, it was proprietary, it, 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 it ran on Linux. I've been using Linux from, uh, you know, since 1997. And I love that because I could do my physics, uh, 3D modeling, you know, all the algorithms and computational physics on Blender using Python. So I was super excited, but it was proprietary. And then they went open source, they created the foundation, and now they're leading the 3D world. And they have a great community. And I think a lot of lessons to be learned from that. But I think, yes, we've got open source in infrastructure, developer tools, frameworks, databases, all that. And it's fine. I, I know that I come from that world cryptography, network security, all that stuff. It's good because in a way you the infrastructure runs on your software. So you can always say you own the world somehow, right? But then you see all these amazing end user applications that enable people to use technology, not you, but you know, just people that are not developers. And I feel sad, like there's a lot of potential that is not there. And other people are just building on top of your open source software and developing those tools. So it's like, oh, this is dirty, actually. You know, it's, uh, this, is, this, is not, this is not fair. The problem is that we build so much momentum around these type of pieces of software that the contributors were just that type of people. So you could not escape that. It's like you have your, your black hole. You know, you cannot escape the fact that you are what you are. And um, it took us some time to start developing things that are not frameworks, databases, or network stacks that are just professional end-user tools not meant for developers, where the user and the developer is not the same person, right? The audience shifts. And we actually experimented that with Taiga. A lot of people went to Taiga, not because it was open source, but it, because it was so pretty. So, I mean, that was intended. We wanted designers to actually enjoy a project manager platform. So we made sure it was like super slick UI, right? And what was always saying, I don't care if it's open source or not. It's just so, so good UI. I like it so much. But then what happens is that the type of contributions you get start to differ from the typical developer's contributions. You start to get contributions in your content, in terms of conversations about the themes that are relevant and also about the design and the features. And with Pempo, that actually is uh, even more so because we need to make sure that we have contributors contributing visual features, like things that you can use, not just improves in performance or not just translating Pempo to 25 languages or things like that. So. I think this is a trend, and now that it's set up, it's not going to change. We can help accelerate it or not, but this is going to happen um, anyway. There's also a generational shift for designers. Designers are now more aware of what it's at stake. They are more valuable now, like designers understand they're in the spotlight, and they get to make choices now. They understand that what they do or the tools they use matter more than what they thought in the past. So a lot of people ask us, do designers care about open source? And in particular, do designers care about open source design tool? And what we're seeing is that they care a lot about that. 
They are intelligent people. At the end of the day, they might choose a proprietary tool, but they understand they're making a choice and that has consequences. This is the adventure we, we are in now. But we'll see more projects about this, I think. And using the web technology, I think. So it's multi-platform. Awesome. Pablo, maybe just to instruct any of those that have been excited by this discussion, where can they kind of engage with the community? Well, I think the easiest, if you're interested in agile methodology, nice tools for the whole team to feel like connected with the, with the work and, and processes and all that, you just go to tiger.io and uh, you'll see there's a resources page. You can find how to contribute, how can deploy it, use it, extend it, integrate it, do whatever you want, and just simply enjoy it. If you're really passionate about design, either because you're a front-end developer that has some interest in design, or because you're actually a designer, I suggest you go to penpot.app. And again, there's a contribution guide there. We can, you have all the you know, typical user guide, but also the contribution guide, the developer's guide, so you can host it yourself, develop, and, and do some nice stuff. Now, I have to say that if you want to go into the code and develop something, it's much easier if you go for Taiga. It's a quite standard Python, Django, Angular stack, whereas Pempot is developed using Clojure and ClojureScript. Just because a functional programming language makes so much sense for a vector graphics tool in terms of performance and reliability. So, you know, there's always beginner-friendly things that you can do, but there's a difference between both projects in terms of new stuff that you can develop yourself. And you're very welcome. You'll see also resources, you know, channels, mailing lists, forums. We're going to set up a community space very soon for Penpot. So watch out for that. But most importantly, just give it a try. It's very, they're very different tools, but they're meant for the same people. The audience is mostly the same teams. Fantastic, Pablo. This has been super exciting because I, I resonate with a lot of this. We have a little thesis here at scale we're operating on where we see design becoming part of the software development life cycle. And I don't know if I've found anything that quite encapsulates that promise as well as the work you're doing. If you, if you find something like that, please do tell me because it's going to be difficult, but we need to help each other if we find all the projects doing the same. For a decade, we've been doing all the cloud thing, all the infrastructure as a commodity, private cloud, infrastructure as a service, all that. Okay, great. Now, please, let's move on to design. Like the other way, you know, it's like going to the other end of the spectrum, but it's about time. Certainly. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you, Eric. You can find today's show notes and past episodes at contributor.fyi. Until next time, I'm Eric Anderson. And this has been Contributor.